This is Wrestling with your host, Isaac Scanlon. Joining me for this episode of Wrestling is former professional football player Mitch Elliott. Hear Mitch describe his journey from being a Division III player to nearly playing for the Minnesota Vikings to his time playing arena football. Along the way, we wrestle with the risks of playing football and the lengths that some will go to in order to make it big. Hi, Mitch. Welcome to wrestling. Hey. Hey. I, so, so wrestling, wrestling is the name of the podcast? Yep, it sure is. Now, it's not wrestling in the literal sense. Um, otherwise... I would have had several bones broken by now and been <laughs> mutilated in several other ways. But this is we call it wrestling because, you know, as you can read in the in the um, podcast description, we wrestle with pertinent theological and cultural issues of our day. Awesome. Well, I, I like that. That's theology is what I studied at Bethel, so I don't know if we talked about that ahead of time, but Yeah, we we did a little bit. Yep, so uh, Mitch and I were both Bethel alum, but we, we missed each other by a few years. Yeah, I was there a long time, but not long enough to quite catch it. What year did you start? 2015. Okay, I was halfway through 13 was my last year, and I was a super, super senior. So. Wow. Man, so, so what, what were you doing? How did you take so long to graduate? Ooh, very long story. I'll give you the very short story is... Uh, uh, I got married junior year, and my in-laws and my own personal family had some pretty bad things that happened. Mm. And then with me getting married, I had to take a little bit of a break. I think I took a, a J term and a, the the spring semester off. Mm. Um, and then that really messed up a lot of like the lining up of when certain classes were available. Yeah, that was. Um, and that same semester before I stopped, our football team went really deep into the playoffs, went to the semifinals, last four teams. And uh, that last game was basically like, I don't know, six days or something before all the finals. So I actually did pretty poorly on that semester class with all that stuff going on. Right. So I just needed to kind of decompress. And then I came back and I, I uh, worked real hard to try to make up for <laughs> that hiccup. But yeah, that's the short version. All right. So it sounds like you had a pretty good reason for it. But sounds like a pretty typical Bethel story. Get meeting your wife there. Yeah, well, I knew her from uh, my youth group. When I was in high school, we weren't at the same school, but we went. We were both very involved in our youth group. So I met her there, um, and we started dating my junior year of high school. So we were dating almost four years before we got married. So nice. The plan was to wait, go through all of Bethel, and I get married. But when all that family stuff happened, we both were like, nope, we're gonna scoot up our timetable a little bit so but yeah when I came back to Bethel I was like the old dog and you know I was BTS philosophy at Bethel theology and Bible and philosophy and a couple music minor and Greek minor or biblical languages minor stuff in there but you know it was weird being in classes because I kind of had to go back to some of the, like the sophomore classes and stuff and it's like I'm a real old dude and there's freshmen in these class so I would just take my seat right in the back of class I'm here and just <laughs> keep quiet unless called upon because everybody's like who is this dude he's like four years older than us so yeah well but hey you graduated yeah well technically not <laughs> oh no i did not graduate but i have so many credits i'm an alumni <laughs> so the hope is to go back at some point and probably take probably my philosophy major like i'm really close to majoring on both of my majors so Either transfer them and uh, finish one of them or both of them up. We're uh, we're back, of course. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, it's not too obvious that we had to take a pause and adjust some of the audio. But where were we? You were talking about Bethel. You were planning to go back and finish your philosophy major? Yeah, probably philosophy. It's something like I need like 12 credits on one and like 20 or 16 on the other or whatever. It's... It's not much, but at some point I want to go back and probably do online classes if possible through somewhere. It depends on what transfers and whatnot. So, but I'm I'm uh, I'm not really big on like I need a degree, 
you know, it's not something I really am passionate about, but it is something that eventually I do want to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a job and kind of a career and stuff set now, so it's not super dire. Nice. And what would that career be? Uh, right now, I, um, well, kind of in line with what I studied at Bethel, I'm a worship director at a small Baptist church in Anoka, First Baptist Church of Anoka. Okay. been doing that for, this is, I'm in my seventh year, but I've been helping out there for, I don't know, 11, 12 years also with the youth group. And there were a few years here and there where we didn't have youth pastors. So at one point I was kind of the de facto youth pastor for a year. Mm-hmm. We had another youth pastor for seven years. And then I was with a couple other leaders. We were kind of the de facto youth pastors, youth leaders for a couple of years. And then we just got a new youth leader. So that's great to not have to deal with both being worship director and youth pastor. You just get really busy, especially because I have other jobs during the weekdays. And that those sorts of jobs take up my weekends. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I work like seven days a week. Wow. But, yeah, you get used to it. It's like the new normal. Um, but my main, main job right now is during the the warmer months, usually about end of March through November. We actually got done early this year because it's cold. But I, I do concrete work, construction work. And I've been doing that. This was my 19th year of doing that. started in 2004. But uh, the last few years, we I've been working with my dad and my stepsister's husband, I just call him like my step bro to make it simpler, but he's technically like an in-law, a step in-law. And uh, we three are partners in a concrete business. So we'll do that as long as it's warm. And then during the winters, um, I have a couple odd jobs. I work at Uptown Barcade in Lindale and Lake Street in Uptown. It's a whole bunch of arcade machines, pinball machines, uh, lots of different beers and stuff on tap, uh, other games. And then I also work with some guys from my church setting up big stages for, for like concerts and other events. Kind of like some of the big ones would be like at the XL Energy Center or US Bank Stadium. Wow. We just set up a huge bunch of like staging sort of equipment and ramps and handrails and all that stuff. So I fill up the winter months with those other last two jobs I mentioned. That's cool. And uh, something else, Mitch, that you mentioned when... When we first met, is that your football career did not end once once you finished at Bethel? It did not. So I played at Bethel. So I was a super super senior, but only the, those first four out of the five and a half years I played football at Bethel. Uh, so that would have been 08, 9, 10, and eleven. Well, eight to nine, nine to ten. 10 to 11, and then 11 to 12, sorry. Um, and after I finished, so my so- I started all four years, which is pretty rare, and I was also um, in choir at the same time. My wow. freshman year, I was in like the top choir that does like, if you're familiar with, um, oh, what's their Christmas program called? They do every year. Festival, Festival of Christmas. Festival of Christmas, yes. So I was one of the first people, if not the first person ever, to be a starter on the football team while being in that choir that's really uh, important for the festival of christmas and about halfway through the season i ended up being so needed for football they just said hey we'll make a deal with you you can't make like any of our practices for choir you just do your football stuff once the season's over you come back here and learn the music as fast as you can so i did that and i had to learn like whatever it was like 30 songs in like one week it was crazy but anyway all that to say that I was a starter starting about freshman year, you know, about a third of the way through the season. So I played, I think it was like, I counted once, it was like, I started in like 42 or 43 football games, and I played in like 45, which is a lot compared to most people. Most people only get to play about half that much. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't start till junior year. Um, so I played four years at Bethel. Uh, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I got first team all conference. I think I think it was all first team all conference all three years. My junior and senior year, I can't remember if it's first or second team. I'm just gonna say I was second team all region both of those years. And then my senior year, I got all American honorable mention. Now the thing with like all region and all American is I, I learned it's really political. You don't really get the awards or nominations unless you make it deep into playoffs. So the better your team does, the better you do individually. Oh, so, that makes sense. Um, it's really the all-conference ones that 
are people who really played against you, knew who you were, and are voting. And so to get first team all conference sophomore year is probably the most significant award in my, you know, in my mind, because it means that the, all the other players and coaches, you know, it's coaches technically, but the coaches will go up to the players and say, who was a good player at this position? And, you know, so in my case, the linebackers would be like, oh, 76 for Bethel. So, but yeah, some of, some of those later awards, like, you know, maybe I could have been first team all region and higher up on the All-American, but we just didn't go to playoffs my senior year. So I didn't get visibility to get those awards. But my senior year, um, I did get invited to several bowl games. There's like the All-American Bowl. I think that was the one that was at the Metrodome because my super senior year or whatever was the year or maybe the year before the Metrodome ceiling collapsed or whatever. So yeah, they were still doing stuff that. at the Metrodome. Yeah. But I played with Bethel at the Metrodome several times in the playoffs, two or three times. But I played an All-American Bowl there, I think it was. Um, there was a North-South Bowl that I went to in Roanoke. I think it was in Roanoke. Um, so like North Carolina or whatever. Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, yeah, it was Virginia. So... Uh, yeah, I played in some of those bowl games, and I got to play against the best players at the D3 level. Um, and I got to see, you know, how do I stack up against those guys. And honestly, in my own opinion, I thought I did pretty well. There were some teams, um, mostly from like the Northwest Coast, that do more of like passing plays. And so they had some players that were definitely more skilled in pass protection. Uh, but Bethel was the team that ran the ball. Bethel and Whitewater, the years I was there, they were the two big running teams in terms of like kind of smash mouth running. There are some teams in Texas like Mary Hart and Baylor that would do like the triple option. So they were more spread you out and then kind of get you with options. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, other than, uh, you know, some of the passing, pass protection skills, I thought I was the best, if not neck and neck with the best at D3 level. So... I, I, I did those opportunities. My dad came with me out to Roanoke for those games and things like that. And uh, so I thought I was done with football and uh, I was just hunkering down, uh, you know, after uh, the stuff I kind of discussed with my family life, getting married. We were living at Married Housing at Bethel, which was actually across E2 at the time, Fountain Terrace. I don't think it exists anymore. So we were technically on campus, but like almost off campus. We take a shuttle bus or I take a shuttle bus to classes. So I was hunkering down to try to fix my schooling, get my schooling done. I'm married. Let's get out of here, get a career. And my dad comes up to me in, this would have been after football, 2012. And uh, it, was, it actually is about like Christmas break, I think. And he says, you're going to try doing football at the next level? And I was like, eh, I, I don't remember if I said, I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't have the time or the money or whatever. And he said, I found this training facility out in Woodbury. I'll pay for you to go if you go to every single training session. Wow. And it was this place called ETS. ETS stands for Engelbert Training Systems. And it's a sports performance um, training facility. It's really big nowadays. I actually just discovered how much bigger it is now. It's like three times bigger than I thought it was. But uh, back then, it was like in its first or second year of being around. So I'm like, okay, sure, yeah, I guess I'll do that. When do I train? And my dad's like, it's five or six days a week, every morning at 6.30 in the morning. It's 6.30 in the morning, I believe it was. Oof. And I was like, I kind of, for a little bit, I thought, like, I wonder if I'm good enough or whatever. Um, but after having played with those guys at the D3 level at the bowl games, I was like, you know, maybe, I can, maybe I do have a shot. You know, playing at the D3 level, not a lot of people make it to the NFL. Right. Um, it's really D1 and then some D2. If anybody makes it to the D to the, the next level, like the higher highest level of the NFL from D3, it's usually someone like a running back that tries out as like a punt returner or a skill position sort of thing, a kickoff returner or whatever, which now kickoff is kind of removed because of how they right. do it and stuff. So there's not a lot of room for D3 players, especially offensive linemen. To have chance at the next level, so I, I, I wait. Didn't you say you were a linebacker? Oh no no no! I'm, I'm an offensive lineman. I played right tackle at Bethel, 
But okay. like, I thought you said linebacker. Oh, what linebacker. I was talking about is the coaches for like giving out awards and voting. They would ask the linebackers. Those are the people I would block. Oh, you know who who was a good offensive lineman that blocked oh, you. Okay. And honestly, my sophomore year, the one where I got that award right away when I was really young, I was a headhunter. I would literally take my helmet and just smash other guys' helmets when they weren't looking. So that's probably why the linebackers voted for me because they're like, oh, yeah, that's 76. He got a hold of me, and I didn't know what was coming my way. So, yeah, because sophomore year I was lighter weight, so I was faster and I could catch him off guard. But as I grew and gained, like, 20 pounds a year each year, you kind of get slower and you have to play more, like, it's a different style of football. Rather than being a torpedo and a fast bullet off the line, you're more of, like, um, maneuvering, you're like getting position and then just overpowering them with your size. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're small, you need to get there quick and catch them before they get momentum. But right. anyway, because um, just a quick word on that uh, for all my fellow nerds out there, you might know that in physics, the force equation is half of mass times velocity squared. So an object going fast. By going faster, you're going to generate more force with your speed, with your velocity, than you will with your mass. You know, this is why if you get hit by a semi going at one mile an hour, going one mile an hour, it's not really going to hurt you. (laughs) Well, yeah, I can even get into some specifics later because I remember some of like my strength numbers and my speed numbers, but if you're interested in that at all. So my dad... uh, he convinced me, and so I scheduled all my classes for um, my true senior year, 2012, to start at, I think the earliest class on them, like three days a week was at 11.10. So I'm like, I'll be able to get up, drive to Woodbury, do my workout, get to school, maybe eat lunch before or whatever, and then get to class. Worst case scenario, my first class was done. It was like 12.35 or 1 or whatever, and I can scarf down some food, whatever. Although, usually that time of the day, the line in the Bethel Dining Center was probably pretty long. So, so it, it would be a bit of a wait. But Yeah, well, you'll see how I handle, how I dealt with it. Because it was, <laughs> you had to be creative. And yeah, so, so I, I, I let my dad sign me up for ETS, not knowing what it was. I remember when I went there, and one thing I should mention is... When I was looking at going to college, it was either because I wanted to do Bible and theology. Mm -hmm. Football was like an added on thing for fun. I was really only looking at Northwestern or Bethel. I wanted to stay close, be connected with my family, still have them as support that's really close by because I grew up in Brooklyn Park. Um, I chose Bethel because the football was better, quite a bit better. I mean, if we, my years I was there, if we would have played Northwestern and actually tried, we'd win probably close to 100 to nothing. But we'd take our starters out at halftime and win 49 to 7 or something. <laughs> so, even take with that, that even with that, I went to Bethel. And like I said, I started freshman year. Um, I, I found that I didn't have to try all that hard still to do really well at football relative to the people around me. So, I will admit I really slacked off. I wasn't a gym rat. I didn't go in the weight room and lift all the time. But I was strong from doing that in high school. Like, I worked out really hard in high school. High school, um, And so I kind of just had strength to carry over from high school. And I never really closed the gap to my potential with lifting. Mm-hmm. So when I went into ETS, I was very strong and whatnot, stronger than my, my peers. But I was not in shape. I was not in professional athlete shape. And I showed up, and they gave me some stuff to do. That was almost like calisthenics. I weighed 323 pounds when I started there. And I I started doing these like calisthenics things. Like I can't even describe like just standing lunges and stretches and stuff like that. And after an hour, I was absolutely exhausted. And I was lying on their like fake turf ground they have inside their building. And I was just sweating, wheezing, whatever. And they're like, dude, man, you're not even done with the warm-up. They're like, just go home. We'll have you come back tomorrow. We'll see what you can get through. And once you can actually get through the warm-up and do the workout, that's when we'll start doing the workout. So I went home uh, being really shown like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not in good shape. And it took me about a week 
of going back and just doing the warm-up calisthenics before I could actually do the calisthenics in a reasonable time, like less than an hour, and then start doing the workout. So like my second week there was the first time, if I recall correctly, where I could actually do the workout. And even then, it was like I could barely do the first set. It wow. took me two or three weeks to be able to do the whole warm-up and the workout to completion. Like this is how hard it was. And it really was like work your butt off as hard as you can, feel miserable every morning. And then I would like flop myself in my car, <laughs> exhausted, sweat everywhere, and be like, I'm hungry, massive headache, I got to get to school, do I have my homework done, whatever. So I would end up like stopping at Chipotle. I'd get like three burritos. Or I'd stop at uh, Subway because they were both on the way and get three footlongs. This is what I'd eat for breakfast every morning. Three, three burritos with three footlongs. I'd get in my car. I'd try to drive through the headache, like massive migraines, and try to eat my food. There were times I would have to pull off to the side of the road and throw up on the shoulder. There were times um, I would roll into my driveway. Um, there was one time I was staying at my dad's or something, and I had to go to my dad's in Brooklyn Park. And like literally pulling into the driveway, I had to open the door while the car's still moving <laughs> and throw up on the driveway. Like It was not fun. But I would get I would get back to Bethel with like 20 minutes till my class. The shuttle's at like 11, and my class is at 11:10. And I'd be there like 10 minutes before the shuttle, and I'd be like sitting in my lazy boy chair, just in like a daze, and like I don't want to go to class. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten yet, or whatever. So I missed a lot of my first classes. Thankfully, it was an easy class that I was like redoing for a better grade or something. It was like Itcher to Theo or something. <laughs> but uh, so. But sometimes I go to class and I have not been able to stop and get food because the workout went long. And there'd be, there's this one girl, I won't name her. She'd be eating her food in class. It would smell so delicious. And I'd be sitting there just like with a hunger headache and exhausted. And oh man. Or sometimes I wouldn't have time to shower. So it was really brutal. But I, I, I went to every single workout. Uh, some, sometimes we'd have Saturdays, but not usually. But it was like five, usually five days a week. And the workouts were like three and a half hours long. The first three months, I did it for four months. The first three months, well, for me, the first month was really just getting into shape enough to do the workout. And then the middle two months were really working on power, explosion. Um, and then the fourth month was conditioning and training for the actual events they would test you on at combines. So they're literally training us how to do the 40-yard dash, like all the little tricks, how to put your hand down, how to lean, how to start, uh, where you're arm snap to at the shot of the gun or whatever when they blow the whistle the three cone drill how to do all your steps to maximize or to minimize your time maximize your power um how to cheat at the vertical jump you know tucking your shoulder down rather than having it loose and really reaching so you kind of tighten your lat muscle so that you don't look like you're reaching as much all these little tricks that everybody does to kind of game the system um and so they're training us on the actual events while conditioning us. And that fourth month was brutal, man. It was every day I would work out and uh, halfway through the workout, I'd go throw up in the bathroom and then it'd be like, all right, five minute breaks over, start again, <laughs> do the net rest of the workout, maybe throw up again. It was the hardest workouts in my life every morning. I sure would hope that you haven't done many harder <coughs> workouts than that. Oh, no. It, <laughs> so, well, yeah, I compare what workouts I do now with that stuff, and everything's a breeze now compared to that. But so at the end of those four months, I was in the best shape of my life. I was really convicted, like, man, if I would have been working out even close to this for my entire college career, I would have been a beast. Like, I wasn't even close to my potential. I lost, um, I lost like 31 pounds. I think it was, yeah, I went from 323 to 292, which is fine. It's on the low side for an offensive lineman. You want to be over like 310. But the thing with all linemen, you can always just quick eat food and put on 20 pounds. It That extra 20, 30, 40 pounds even, if you're in shape, doesn't matter if it's fat because it's just like extra mass to use to your advantage because you're not going to be running wind sprints against anybody. So I tried out, uh, when I tried out for the combines, I weighed 292. I had... Like, when we got done with that last month of conditioning, they were literally telling us to do, like, front planks. And after five minutes, all of us are just in a circle with our kind of our heads together chatting and laughing <laughs> it up, not even feeling a burn. 
we were in such good shape, they'd be like, okay, you're done. We'd be like trying to do toe taps in a front plank position to make it hard, and we couldn't even make it hard because we were in such good shape. Wow. Um, and there were guys there that were stronger and faster, both at the same time, stronger and faster than me. So it was fun to like see somebody for once who was faster and stronger than me to try to reach and hmm. keep up with. Um, so I tried out um, at the U of M Pro Day, and... Um, that's where like about a hundred U of M players meet at their field house with about a hundred non U of M players. And usually it's not that big, but that's the numbers that kind of showed up my year there. And what happened was they came up to us and they said, we have too many people. Uh, we're going to have to do a test, a 40 yard dash test. And if you don't meet the standard for your position, you got to leave. And that upset a lot of people because they came hoping to do all the events and get looked at by these scouts from the NFL. So they had us line up and do the 40-yard dash, and you had to meet certain standard times. And I did the 40-yard dash, and I know I think I needed to get 5-2-3 was for my offensive guard position I was trying out for. And I ran a 5-2-1 three times in a row, exactly. And the people clocking are like, I've never seen somebody run a 5-2 or whatever, any time, exactly the same every time. They're like, you must be trying harder each time. Too bad you didn't try harder the first one and maybe got a little faster. But I don't know what happened, you know. But but it was good enough. But it was good enough. So about 50 of those U of M players passed to their qualifiers. And about 15 of the non-U of M players passed to their qualifiers. So I was one of about a dozen or so non-U of M players that got to do the rest of the events. And so you're doing the bench press, you're doing the vert, you're doing the ten, or you're doing the standing broad jump, all these other events that are at a normal combine. And near the end of it, I got pulled aside by the Vikings. And I think there was probably the Lions and the Bills. There might have been Jaguars or somebody else there. But it was primarily the Vikings pulled me aside and they wanted to do extra workout drills with me. So I did that with them with other coaches that were like, oh, let's take a look too. So I did that one. And um, then I also went to the Bears facility. I forget the name of the field, but that one was like 300 people tried out. And it was like an assembly line, like, go here, take your picture, go here, uh, measure your hand width, your height, blah, blah, blah. And there are people off the street could go to this one. So there's like 40-year-olds trying out just, just for the fun of it. I don't know if it's just like their fun hobby they do every year. But anyway, I did that one. Uh, that was took a long time. But my dad came with me to that, and we made a trip out of it. Um, but at the end of those combine training things, I got contacted through an agent I had at the time um, that I got invited to the Viking rookie camp, um, which is, I think it was like in April or something. So my training went like with ETS was probably, it's probably January, February, March, April. So maybe... I can't remember if we started in December. I think it was January, February, March, April. And then at the end of the April or the start of May or something was the Viking rookie camp. It was sometime in spring. Uh, quick question. Was this still during your true senior year of college? Yeah. So this is all happening while I'm still a student at Bethel. Um, you know, the guys on the... Um, so I had finished my true senior year of football, though. So the fall season's over, the fall sports season. So I'm training in the winter, and I come back to Bethel, and you know I, I'm a, I'm a you know done Bethel football player, you know. But I show up, and I'm at like the the old weight room and stuff we had. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was just a, a room in the corner. You know, you couldn't fit 50 people in there without it feeling like sardines. I know that. Well, I've only ever been to the new one. I've <laughs> when you know when I was touring Bethel, you know some someone of course asked the tour guide the question. What would you like to see changed about Bethel since, you know, no place is perfect? And the guy was like, we got to get a bigger weight room. Oh, yeah. Hey, but we did. And it's actually, it's a really nice place to work out. I don't even have to pay for a gym membership because <sighs> yeah. alumni get to use it for free. So I had, it's actually, a great feature. I have not used it yet. I'm kind of too intimidated to be like, hey, I, I'm an alumni from 10 years ago. Can I use it? But... Uh, I have been in there and kind of gotten the tour, but it looks amazing. The one we had back then was, I don't know, 15% the size. <laughs> like the, 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 I don't know. It was nothing compared to that. But there was also kind of an endearing element of it where it's like if you're in the weight room, it's because you want to be. No one goes into that little dingy weight room 
unless they're they're pursuing something. So I would show up and say hi to the football guys who were doing their training in the spring and stuff, and they were all like, what have you been doing? You look way different because I'd lost so much weight. I couldn't even grab any belly fat, and I'm 292. I literally couldn't pinch any belly fat. It was just like – so um, when I went to that Viking rookie camp, I was in the best shape of my life by far, and um, it was it was kind of crazy because the Vikings had – just had their first round draft pick they used, unfortunately, to get a, uh, an offensive tackle. Um, Matt Khalil was the draft pick that year. Um, you know, so whatever he was, like 6'6", 6'7", 320 pounds, which on him, because he's so tall, looks skinny. They were actually saying he should add some weight. But, you know, it's, it's me and I think it was 11 other linemen. There were a couple centers, a, couple, a handful of guards, and a half, handful of tackles. I was the only D3 player that I know of that was at the entire rookie camp. Um, I think I tried to look up that year because each team has rookie camps. Um, there was only like a dozen D3 players across the 32 rookie camps. And I'm pretty sure I was the only offensive lineman. Most of them, like I said, are going to be like wide receivers or running backs trying out for skill positions. Or they'll be like a quarterback hoping to make like third or fourth string quarterback. Um so I was kind of in a position all alone in, in, with respect to being a D3 player. So I kind of had had to try to prove myself. So there were like 11 other O-linemen, and we were competing for about five or six spots. But Matt Khalil was already a lock-in for this first spot. There was another guy who had played. He was kind of a journeyman O-lineman who had played on practice squads with like Atlanta and some other teams. He was kind of a shoe-in. There was the guy that I actually roomed with overnight at the hotel, he was the number one um, prospect for the CFL draft as an, as an offensive lineman, but he decided to forego being part of the CFL draft to try to make the NFL. I never actually looked up to see what happened with him, but so he was kind of a shoe in you know, if you're like the number one prospect for the CFL, you probably got a good shot from the NFL. So it was whatever, what that means, like seven other guys and me competing for like two spots, two or three spots. Um, they worked us, it was like two-a-day football practices from high school. It was, they were having their offensive linemen sprint from uh, station to station, doing all sorts of random drills we've never done before, like weird foot coordination drills. And it's just like, why are we doing this? I've never had to do this in my whole entire football career. But what they were doing was they were doing like all sorts of drills to try to see what your weaknesses are. Not just physical, but also mental, like just being put on the spot. They were doing things that were kind of unorthodox that you wouldn't expect to try to find out if you're lying about a shoulder injury they maybe know about or don't know about or a hip injury or a weakness. So that's why they were doing all these weird things that we even couldn't prepare for. Um, Cause you know, that's what guys do when they get to that level, they start lying about how bad injuries are. They don't even tell the trainers cause they'll, they'll either be seen in the training room or the trainer will spill the beans. So there is a lot hmm. of like, I don't know how to say it. Like, gamifying to try to get in the door <laughs> um and and there's more of that to come later when i talk about uh arena football but all that to say um even matt khalil who was in the nfl draft and got drafted like the week before he showed up and he's huffing and puffing he's like man i had the nfl draft last week so i wasn't able to work out last week i feel so out of shape and we're all like no it's not you man like they're working <laughs> us like i haven't been worked since high school like Doing all these drills and stuff. So, Wait, were, but was this still relatively easy to what you were doing at ETS? It was, but it, it's different because you're you're running around, and there's D linemen that are also at the rookie camp trying to earn a spot, and so you'll do a drill with them, and they'll say, "Hey guys, we don't have pads on, we only have helmets on and gloves, so no going 100 percent." Well, the D linemen are. <laughs> that might work for one rep, but all of a sudden everybody's going at a hundred percent. You know, it doesn't matter if we have pads on or not. We're not going to go and do a drill and look like we lost a drill because we're going 50% like they told us. So like by the end of the day, when all the old linemen were like taking our jerseys off in the locker room, we all had like bruises on our pecs because the D linemen are just bench pressing into us, you know, just shoving us as hard as they can. And that's always been a joke when they're like, okay, only go 50%. You know, when you're competing for a position, that's not going to be obeyed. So we're going around doing these events and we're literally 
doing bench press reps, we're sprinting, we're fighting guys. And then they're saying, okay, you're done with this one. Run over to, across the field to this one. And then they're having us hurdle like mats and do toe tap stuff. And so, yeah, we were basically all as old linemen were like, this is crazy. <laughs> like how much they're just having us run. It was, you know, so um, at the end of all of that, um, well, this was the year that Coach uh, – Frazier, it was his last year, going into his last year with the Vikings, I believe. Uh, really solid Christian guy. I, I sensed that even from the little interaction I had with him in meetings and things. Um, but it was like a two-day, one-night oh, two one thing. And like I said, I roomed at a hotel with the number one draft prospect for the CFL. They gave us this huge book of plays, all the Vikings playbook. And we had to know all the plays. Like we showed up at like whatever, it was 4 p.m. on a Friday. They had us work until whatever, like 8 p.m. Then they gave us a playbook. Then we went to the hotel, and then we're going to be back at 7 in the morning. They're like, you need to know all the plays. So me and this CFL guy stayed up from 10 to like 1 in the morning, learning the whole playbook, trying to remember how they said they were going to call the play in the huddles and stuff. I can't imagine what the quarterbacks were going through that night, trying to learn how to call it. And then we came back, and the rest, the whole next day, from 7 to 7 or whatever it was, we had, it was either two or three practices where we'd um, go practice. I think it was two, long practice, four hours or whatever. Then we ate lunch at the, the, the buffet place at their old facility. It was insane. The biggest shrimp I've ever seen. But whatever, you can <laughs> eat at whatever you want. At the end of every hallway, there's a little mini fridge with like Pedialyte and Gatorade. People were stockpiling on it because there's just hundreds and hundreds of Pedialyte and Gatorade. Um, and then, uh, then we went back for an evening or afternoon practice, whatever it was. And um, at the end of all of that, I did not make it. I think I was probably one guy away, you know, just kind of sizing up who I was up against. I think there's probably like one guy away from making the preseason team. So that rookie camp is just to see who will make the preseason team. And I forget the exact numbers, but they go into the preseason, say, with like 105 guys. They play a game, and then the next game they have to be down to 75. And then the next game they have to be down to 53 or whatever the numbers were or are. Um, so the rookie camp is like the first step. And I didn't quite make it, and I remember the next week, and this kind of leads into the next part of what I know you wanted to talk about. The next week I'm at Dave & Buster's just hanging out, me by myself, playing Donkey Kong, and I go up to the bar to get a refill of Dr. Pepper, and I see the Viking game on, and I see all those guys I trained with, and I'm thinking, man, I was so close. I would have been on TV playing in a Vikings game during oh, preseason. Man, it's so tough, I was probably dude. one guy away. But, you know, odds are I wouldn't have made the next cut, any of the next cuts. And my, my goal wasn't to be a, a starter in the NFL. I, you know, I think the year I was playing – like the the minimum pay for like a practice squad player was like three hundred and twenty or three hundred forty thousand, and the practice squad players end up actually learning and playing in many senses. They learn and play more football than the starters. Uh, the practice squad they have to go to their own meetings and scout out, get taught all the schemes and plays of the opponent for that week, learn them, and then model the plays for the starters to get reps in practice. So you end up learning you know, 16, 17 other teams' plays throughout the year. You end up getting banged up more, playing more football during practice because you're not the starter. You don't need to necessarily be squeaky clean, not injured. Um, the starters, if they're injured, they're not, they're not doing reps. They're resting, rehabbing, whatever. So I actually I, I didn't need tons of money. 320 is a ton already, you know, whatever. <laughs> And I love football, and I love the mental part of the game, learning plays and kind of being a, a servant and a helper to others to make them look good, be behind the scenes. That's kind of where my heart is anyway, you know, in church ministry and things like that. I like being somebody behind the scenes helping others succeed. Hmm. So I was just trying to get in the door enough to get on, like, the practice team. And if you make it to that preseason level, um, it's kind of a really good foot in the door where, like, if you don't quite make it with the Vikings, you might get called up by them later if somebody gets injured as a practice squad person. No one would ever hear about this on TV, but they'd be like, hey, uh, you learned all our plays. Uh, 
you want we, we got a couple guys injured at this position. You want to be our new fourth stringer, main, mainly a practice squad guy. Or maybe the Packers would be looking for somebody or whatever. So your name gets in the system. So I just barely missed that. So I thought it was done. And then Ryan Engelbert. ETS, Engelbert Training Systems. It's named after Ryan. He's got a really cool testimony of why he started all that. But he contacted me one day when I was at Bethlehem Baptist downtown campus. I'm in church and I get a text and it says, hey, do you want to play arena football? If so, they need your your health information and physicals and all this stuff faxed to them by like noon today. <laughs> and it was like 11 or 10 in the morning or whatever. It was like 1030, I think. And I'm at, I'm, I was kind of actually visiting Bethlehem downtown. I usually went to the North Campus. So I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know anybody. So I, I contacted my agent, contacted my dad, talked with my wife. And it was basically like, if I fax this info, I have to book it down to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and be there by like 7 p.m. today. <laughs> they will give me a run-through practice and um, get me prepped. Like, they'll start today on a Sunday for their next game, which was, I think they did their games on Fridays or Saturdays or something. I think it was Fridays actually, but they wanted me ready to do a practice like the next day. So they were going to give me a walkthrough. And I went up to like the random secretary people at Bethlehem Baptist. I'm like, do you have a fax machine? And they're like, yeah, we actually do. Like, so I, I had to get all this stuff emailed to me and then faxed. And long story short, I left at whatever it was like 2 PM, 2:30 PM to get down to Cedar Rapids <laughs> Four hours, four and a half hours later, whatever the drive is, on very short notice uh, to play with an arena football team. And I played with the Cedar Rapids Titans. They're a different name now. I forget what it's called, but they were Titans for several years. And it's actually technically, it's not an arena football. It's an indoor football league. So kind of what people would generally think of like as arena football, there's several levels. There's um, arena football is like the highest of those levels and then indoor is a little lower and then you're going to have like your semi-pro and even lower like semi-pro honestly like I got people send me messages to play for them but it's like sometimes 40 and 50 year old people that are just bad playing alignment so it's no offense to people but it's like what you do for a fun hobby if you're done with football and you used to be a football player but I played with Cedar Rapids Titans they were one of the worst teams in the league that year I think they had one or two wins they when I joined them about halfway through the season, my understanding is they were going through linemen left and right because they were not blocking well. And I played six or seven games or something with them and not, never an inkling that I was doing bad enough that they were thinking of letting me go. So I must have done something right. It was me and one other guy were like the mainstays and then they keep having other people come in. Eventually we found a guy that was good enough and then we kind of for the last few games had a good core offensive line. But uh, I think I did well there. They put me up in a hotel. Um, they gave me vouchers to go around town to get food with these coupon vouchers, like sponsors for the team and stuff. So it was, it was very interesting. Um, I played, I was there for like a month and a half or two during the summer. They were trying to give me like a job doing roofing. And I'm like, no, I'm an old lineman. <laughs> I'm not going to do roofing in Iowa during the middle of the summer while I'm trying to not die and play football. So I just, I ended up just like living in my apartment, my, my, my hotel room they put me up in, cranking the AC and, um, you know, I just did a lot of studying and stuff in my free time. And then I went to practices when they needed me to, I, I didn't get really super close with anybody on the team cause, um, there were, there were just not a lot of good influences on the team. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, like Bethel where it's Christian I actually had to, had to do a lot of like, uh, fighting temptation and praying for guys that I knew were not doing good things on my mm -hmm. team. Um, but it was, it was a pretty eye-opening experience because, um, like I said earlier, uh, people are trying to game the system to get to the next level. A couple examples of this. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm in the locker room for my first game, and there, there's some different big differences about arena football level play if you don't know there's no punts you always kick a field goal and if it goes short the other team can catch it and it becomes a punt so mm -hmm. if i'm in blocking for a field goal i might end up being a tackler mm -hmm. which i haven't tackled in like six years since high school yeah i i know some of arena football i actually got the arena football video game when it came out oh nice nice so i'm, I'm getting i'm in the locker room for my first start i've had like three practices um 
they have three linemen, a center and two guards, no tackles. And so it's a lot faster play. You're a lot more on an island one-on-one. You really have to beat your guy. You can't, like, double-team with the center as much. Um, so it's it's very, yeah, I don't know the right word about it. It's very vulnerable football in terms of, like, you can get an egg on your face real bad. Um, my my first game, I'm, I'm putting on my, my indoor cleats that I had just happened to have on me because I used them in like um, the the Metrodome or whatever. I had them for some reason. I had a pair. And I'm lacing them up, and somebody goes, "You don't want to wear those." And I go, "What?" It's like you don't want to wear those. And I'm like, "They're indoor cleats." They said not to wear like normal football cleats because they'll puncture the grass or whatever. It's like no, but even those, you'll get caught in the carpet and you'll tr- break your ankle. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. I'm like, what should I wear? And they're like. Those. And I have these ugly gray New Balances on. They're just trash work shoes. I'm like, you serious? And it's like, yeah. Do you got anything else that's like a sneaker or something? A gym shoe? I'm like, no, this is all I got. So I go out in these gray New Balances. <laughs> and I look, and other people are doing that too. Like, they're not ugly like mine. But yeah, they're not even wearing like the Astro cleats. <laughs> because apparently you can twist and break ankles easily if they get stuck in the ground and you twist. So I go out there, and, and arena football is so fun because you can hear everything. If somebody's aiming their voice at you, you will hear it. And I walk out of the tunnel. You, you get to even pick up like uh, pick out like walk up songs and stuff. I don't remember <laughs> what mine was like. Dream on or something. They had like a list. I'm like, just do this one. So I come out, and the first time I walk out on the field, hey, 63. I think that was my number, 61 or 63. Nice shoes, man. Would, you, would your mom give you those shoes? And I'm just like, what? And then his bro next to him, some drunk dude. He's probably already drunk. It's a small town Iowa scene, and they just, they're just they in a hockey arena, and they're they're living it up. Yeah, man, those are nice shoes. Where'd you get those? I want to get some. You know, whatever. They're mocking me for the whole game for my shoes. Wait, and these were your own fans, no, supposedly? Yeah, fans or <laughs> opponent fans, whatever. But yeah, they're just, it was so funny. Like, I wasn't even bothered. But I, me and like five other guys went to Dick's Sporting Goods afterwards and got, <laughs> got good shoes. But so that was my first intro to arena football. Um, people were very particular about the shoes and stuff. I saw people uh, wrapping um, what's the term for it? Like really bright, shimmery neon, pink or yellow fluorescent, not fluorescent. Uh, there's a word for it, but it shimmers a lot when light bounces off of it. They're taping all over their shoe, on their ankle, on their wrists. Uh, I think some were even putting it around the collar of their shirt, especially wide receivers. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like they were putting so much. And I found out that there are rules in that level of football that if you deviate from the uniform, you get you get fined. The first fine's twenty five bucks. Then it doubles. It's fifty. Then it's a hundred. Then it's a you know, and it keeps doubling. And these guys were taping their cleats so that they would stand out on film more when people would look at the games in highlights and stuff. So their eye would be caught to it, so they have a, a better chance of getting seen by scouts to get brought to the NFL. But they're playing these arena football games where you're getting paid like two hundred bucks to play and two fifty or three hundred if you win. No. At least that's like what I was getting. So, but they're getting they're they're getting fined like four hundred dollars a game for tape. They're losing money in the hope of a payoff. Huh. So they're trying to gamify the system. Um, I uh, at the end of the season. We played a really high-scoring game, uh, but like the last the last few games, I started noticing people were starting to do cheap shots. Like you'd be running on one side of the field, the play's long gone, 20, 30 yards down the field, and somebody would try to dive at your knee. Like they're actually trying to injure you. Hmm. So I put these huge, super like professional knee braces on that I got from a sponsor while at Bethel. We had a really good O-line, and so one of the sponsors like, we need to keep our O-line safe. So they had us all literally measure our legs and our calves and everything. And get these really custom fit knee braces on. I put them on, and uh, the next week, yeah, people were trying to break, like tear my ACL. Because <laughs> what they're trying to do is injure the good players early in the game, so that the rest of the game they go against like a backup who doesn't know the plays and stuff, and they can embarrass them and get really good highlights huh. at the end of the season on losing teams, so that going into the next year they can have highlight film of them just dominating. And then maybe they can get up to the CFL or a next league. Hmm. 
So I put these knee braces on just in time, like for the last two games. And there were, in the last game of our season, there were like six or seven knee injuries. Like I would go play at Bethel. I'd play a whole season of 10 or 12 games. And I'd maybe seen between all the teams, two or three. And I saw six or seven very serious looking injuries in one game between the two teams. Uh, and so it's crazy. We we played that game. We ended up losing. It was like fifty six to forty nine or something like that. I'm sitting on the sideline. I'm looking at my knee braces. A couple attempts of people trying to break my injure me, you know. And I just remember thinking, I don't got life insurance. I'm away from my wife for two months. Uh, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not gonna force this dream which isn't even a super like heartfelt dream it's more of just like if i can make it i'll make it make some money set my family up for a future but like i'm not like these guys who are desperate who are literally the ones trying to injure people because you know there are people that have rough had rough messed up family lives and they were trying to make it big for their families um all the talk of like um the concussion stuff Mm -hmm. in recent years i was playing that arena level like the year that movie kind of came out or the you know, the, the yeah. stuff based that the Will I, Smith movies based off yeah, of I read the book okay League of Denial yeah in fact I was um if you don't mind and I can edit this out later but I was actually going to ask if if you know you were worried about your brain at any point or yeah I could definitely talk about that so like what I was going to say is I would so one of the narratives with that is, oh, the football players don't know what's going on. And now all the kind of retired players are coming out of the woodwork with these injuries and they're complaining and they're getting money now. They're getting some measure of compensation and stuff. Um, so I was playing football right when that stuff was coming out, maybe just a little bit before it was a really public knowledge. And I'll tell you, honestly, all the football players knew what was going on. We would sit in the locker room either before the game, especially before the game, but sometimes at halftime. And I could look around at the faces of these guys that are, you know, some of them are already pushing probably low 30-year-olds at the time. They've been playing football for five to ten years out of college already. I know they've got girlfriends and kids and stuff, and they're doing all this stuff to try to scrape the bottom of the barrel in hopes of making it big. And I could see on their faces that they were doing it, knowing the risks, trying to support their families. Hmm. They were counting up the cost. Like, yeah, I might get injured. It might all just come to nothing, come to something terrible. And I was like, I'm not in a position where I need to make that sort of risk. Mm-hmm. So I called it quits. I'm like, I've, I've gotten really lucky. I really haven't had any big injuries in football. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got some, you know, tearing of skin or something from high school, like a sprained ankle here or there. <laughs> I've got, I get stingers in my neck. Like I get neck pain, normal stuff, but I haven't had bad injuries. So I'm like, I'm done. And um, I did have asking about concussions and things. I was worried about that because I'm a thinker. I'm theology, philosophy. Um, I didn't want to be like, oh, man, there go 20 years of my life where, like, at the end of my life, I'm not going to be able to think. I'm going to have dementia, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that might still be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was, like, in eighth grade, we had our eighth grade science fair sort of trip to Valley Fair. I could go on Wild Thing. I literally went on Wild Thing 26 times in a row. And that same day, I went on corkscrew like 23 times. And I went on like tons of roller coasters, dozens and dozens of times in one day. Now, when I take youth group to Valley Fair, if I go on a certain type of ride that doesn't mesh well with me one time, I will be sick for the rest of the day. Hmm. Uh, so if you think of it in terms of like an airplane, you got pitch, roll, and yaw. Yaw is the one that does it for me. Any sort of spinning. Like even right now, if I whipped my head back and forth, like violently as hard as I can, I'd probably simulate the same thing as the tilt the world. Tilt the world's the ride that ruins it for me. The, the spinning slices of apples. <laughs> yeah. If I go on that, I will be sick for seven hours straight. I've had it happen several times or I'll throw up and stuff. Well, so I, I think that is football because I never received a concussion. Like somebody hit me when I wasn't aware, but I was always the one hitting people so hard. Like I said, like a yeah. spearing them in the head. Um, Especially when I was like freshman, sophomore in college, because I was lightweight and I could get to him. And if I yeah. caught, if I caught him off guard, I might as well hit him, and I would. I would knock over two guys in one play because I'd catch him off guard. But I'd use the crown in my helmet because I found out it was a really good weapon. If mm. if you got two guys coming at each other, 
the guy who gets underneath the other guy's helmet even will win. Even if this guy overall is lower, if you get under his helmet, you bend his neck back and then his chest comes up and you win. So if you're going fast and you just get... I I learned the placement for it. Um, And I think uh, there were probably two or three times in my whole football career where I gave myself mild concussions. I think one of them was more severe. I had a play where I, I, I literally speared guys helmet to helmet, knocked over two guys in one play. It was one of the best plays in my career. And then all of a sudden, I go to the huddle. They say the play. I'm walking up to the line from the play. I'm like, wait, what's the play? I know it's either step left or step right, and it's a quick pass, but I don't remember which one it is. And I started guessing. And I actually did a whole drive or two kind of knowing what the play was, but not really. I couldn't like – it was like my brain was outside myself, looking at myself, trying to figure out the play. It was really like out of body, sort of like meta thinking about my situation. But like concrete thinking, I could not do. And after about two drives, it wore off. And I I, I was sitting on the the Bethel sideline with my friend Kyle Borsman. I'm like – Dude, man, did I, did somebody hit me real hard like a little bit ago? And he just started laughing because I think he knew I was just lighting people up. And it was me <laughs> who did it to myself. And so I watched film and you couldn't tell. It was like my boss, my body was going on muscle memory instinct. And I huh. happened, it's, you ever heard of like blind sight where people are blind, but they avoid obstacles because their body still sends them the signals. Yeah. It was something I think like that where I literally did the play right every time for like 20 plays in a row. That's so weird. But if you ask me, I like couldn't remember those drives at all. Huh. So that was probably the worst one I had. And so going into arena football, I was, that was one of the things. is like not just like a physical mechanical injury, but like even like brain. Right. Like, I'm like, how many more years can I do this? Like, because when I was there, I think they bumped it from three years to five, but there was like to make retirement or some special benefits in the NFL, you had to play three years in the NFL. And then I looked up, like, how often do people have to play in the Arena League before they get a better chance of the NFL? And it was, like, three years, two or three years. So I'm, like, adding it up. I'm, like, do I want to play six more years of football? Five to seven more years, whatever. I'm, like, no, my brain's going to be mushed by then. So I hmm. called it quits. And uh, that's, that's where my football career ended after about one year of indoor football league. But, like... I had people contacting me for about seven years after that. Hey, you want to come out to California? We'll play. We'll pay you seven times the money. We'll pay you a thousand dollars a game or fifteen hundred a game, and or another person was like, Hey, we're starting the national rug, U.S. rugby team. You want to get trained and learn to play rugby? All these things I was getting offers for five to ten years almost in my email, and I just kept having to be like, No, or just ignore them or whatever. Um, so yeah. That's kind of how that ended. Uh, but, yeah, the big takeaway was um, if I ever have kids or even kids that I help with my youth group and stuff now, like, I see how much wasted potential I had. Mm-hmm. And I also see now better how much it takes, specifically with football, but even more with professional athletes. Because ETS, the place I trained at, trains all sorts of sports. Um, and it's really taken off. Like lots of professional athletes come during the off season and train there. They'll literally move to Minnesota to train. Uh, Adam wow. Thielen, wide receiver for Vikings. Yep. He was training there before he was famous. I didn't know who he was. And then he ended up getting drafted or whatever. And now he's like half owner. He owns a bunch of the locations. I don't know the exact number. But so it's really the hot um, training facility now in the Midwest for professional athletes. So like I, I kind of had an inside view of that stuff. So I can tell now with certain students, like you either don't have the skill, you don't have the dedication, or if you, you do have those, this is how much work you need to put in. Um, and I have a better understanding of leading others to maybe go further than I went. Mm. So, you know, I kind of can live vicariously through serving at church or th- serving other youth group type stuff. Of, or even just coming back to Bethel and talking with football players that might have the skill or talent and be like, hey, I'll be honest with you, you need to do this and this. I didn't do it my whole four years at college, and maybe if I did, I'd have five times better chance. Hmm. So you, you live and learn, and you know, I learned that I had a lot more potential than I thought because when I got done with football and I called it quits, I ended up playing with Bethel and Baptist for a flag football team. And I stopped training. I wasn't lifting at all anymore. And for like six months, all that training from ETS stayed. It stayed. I was playing flight football and I was chasing down little tiny running backs. Huh. And I was playing the whole game 
making all these ta- tackles, quote unquote, <laughs> and great plays, wasn't even breaking a sweat. And the whole time I'm thinking through that whole summer and early fall, I'm like I'm kicking myself. If I would have trained as hard as I did for those four months, for four years, it would have been insane. Yeah. So, but yeah. But it sounds like you got an adventure out of it. Yeah, it is very fun adventure. Um, but yeah, you also, I I just got married relatively. Yeah, I relatively just got married. My wife had just gotten a career locked in, and I was like, I'm not gonna move to California and uproot her and my whole family after she just got a career set. So there's there's those considerations that had to be made that you know. Not necessarily the most fun or adventurous, but, you know, I still did have a good adventure out of it. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess the other thing you want to talk about was Donkey Kong. Yes. Unless, uh, so, here's what I'm thinking. We're coming up on about an hour, so I'm thinking we can make this a two-part episode. It's fine with me. So, right here in my studio here, which is just a room in my house... Mitch and I are probably just going to get up and stretch for a few minutes. But as for you listening, you will have to come back next week to hear part two of Mitch Mitch and I's conversation because his adventure of life did not end with football. So you'll definitely want to hear all about it. He's going (laughs) to share how he became one of the world's greatest Donkey Kong players. (laughs) all right so uh, hopefully we'll catch you next week and Soli Deo Gloria